Welcome to the Transportation Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. The advent of ride-sharing not only gave riders a quick and customizable alternative to what was on the market, but it gave drivers a flexible way to make money. But with any service, there are going to be roadblocks. Pun intended. (laughs) Here to tell us about the state of the ride-share industry, the way it's changing, and some of the issues surrounding it is Kyle Stoudy, CEO and co-founder of Easy Rider. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, we're excited to dive into sort of a full scope of the rideshare industry and some of the ways that it's changing, um, whether that be with the technology around it or uh, with some of the methods that is being implemented either in a university or a city. I feel like there's a lot of change going on and it's a hot button issue and there's a lot of a lot of press around it too, especially with Uber, um, you know, it's probably turning some heads. So let's just uh, let's just start at the very beginning here with just the state of the rideshare industry right now. Why don't you give us your take? You know, since you've been involved in this industry, what have you seen? Where are things at right now? I think you're starting to get to a point to where you know things have been stagnant. Probably not the best word, but it kind of has been in a state of it is what it is, you know, for the past probably three or four years. Obviously, your majors like Uber and Lyft continue to grow and, and you know, to, at large rates at, at that matter. But there's still voids, you know, in the market that uh, whether it be, uh, you know, kind of like what we're doing, targeting specifically college kids. You know, you look at several reports. I try to engage when I get in an, an Uber and Lyft just to, to really fill out the driver side of things because I know what it's like to be a rider. I know you know, you're facing those surge rates during high demand periods and whatnot. But what's it like actually being a driver? It's interesting. You get very mixed mixed responses. Um, <clears throat> one of the biggest issues that, that tends to be common is, um, you know, a sense of maybe not not being taken care of and, and the issue that, uh, and, and part of it's their responsibility to make sure they set enough money to decide when it comes tax season. Um, but there was a gentleman, I remember I was in Nashville, and uh, he did, he was driving, and you know, this is what he relied on as his income. He did it full time, and had an issue. A, a rider basically was extremely intoxicated. She accidentally shifted the vehicle into a different gear, and it tore up some stuff under the hood. Ended up costing about three grand. Well, he went back and forth with I'm not going to specifically say which company, but with that ride sharing company, and they didn't reimburse him. They didn't compensate him. So I think that was. With him specifically, he didn't feel like the company cared about his situation or just him as an individual or a driver for their company. On the flip side, he said well, that on top of you know the fact that taxes aren't taken out of his income and he's responsible for that, that he felt like he, he pretty much was close to breaking even after you know paying bills and whatnot. So, and that's I think that's one area where things have to be addressed. You know, at the end of the day. Ride-sharing companies are simply a platform that enable and kind of simplify the connection between a rider and a driver. On paper, you know, really, drivers aren't employees, so they aren't necessarily responsible for those types of details. But at the end of the day, you want people to want to drive for you. And I think that's, that's an area for an improvement. It's an opportunity, you know, obviously with existing companies, but also some of these others uh, like ourselves that are, are trying to tap into the market. Yeah, I feel like 
with ride sharing, it's tough because you're in essence freelancing to a degree, but you're using your own equipment and it's equipment that is not only really valuable, but in the United States specifically, I mean, owning a car is the method of transportation. There isn't reliable public transit everywhere. And so a lot of these people that ride share, they use their car that they also use for their daily transit. And so if there are issues, if there's a complication that ends up destroying their car while they're on the job and it wasn't their fault, it was a rider's fault, then you would hope that the company involved would either reimburse or assist with getting them back on the road. And uh, do you feel like that is sort of a gap in the ride-sharing industry as a whole? Is that something that you hear from a lot of drivers that, you, you know, there's there's sort of a disconnect between being a freelancer but also the state of what kind of equipment you're using to complete your job? I could kind of go in both directions with that, to be honest with you. I, I'm not going to say it's it's like a widespread problem, Every you know, really circumstantial. You know, it's unfortunate that some drivers, uh, you know, just kind of, the wrong rider at the wrong time and something like that that can happen. But, you know, on the flip side, I've ridden with drivers who absolutely love what they do and they love the customers, they love the company they work for. So I think it's a very circumstantial situation, but I think it's an opportunity. I do, you know, th- there's been pretty big articles written on how there's a general stint maybe that, that drivers just don't necessarily feel. And I've seen a few different surveys where a pretty large percentage, you know, upwards of 30, 40% of drivers at one point in time did not feel like you know they were taken care of, and I think you I think you really see that in the the churn rate of drivers. If you look at it, um, you know, I think there was an article I was looking at the other day where Uber's churn rate, you know, after I believe it was two years, two or three years, that only fifty percent of the drivers uh, that were there at day one were still still driving for them. So you have a pretty high churn rate, and whether that's just they lose interest or you know again kind of getting that feeling of um, maybe they're not making as much as they would like, or they don't feel like they're really being taken care of or a part of something. I think those are some pretty big drivers on why why you see that, that pretty high turnover rate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in any kind of position like this where you're not a direct employee of a company, I think what's going to keep your employees around is a sense that you are cared for and that your needs and your position as an employee is being valued and thought of uh, at a consistent basis. I mean, that whole collaborative team effort mentality, I think, always pushes everything to the next level. Changes within the ride-sharing industry. I feel like driverless cars is probably something that is turning some people's heads. Has there been any talk of implementing driverless cars into the ride-sharing world? I was listening to a How I Built This a podcast. This was probably a year or so ago. It was Lyft's CEO. Somebody with Lyft. I'm pretty sure it was the CEO. At the very end, he, it was interesting because he mentioned there's not really a, a subscription-based ride-sharing company, even though Lyft's kind of testing a hybrid version of it now. But at the very end, he was like, the future is you know, the driverless cars. And when those driverless cars do come into play, you know, I think that's when you really start to see that subscription model being more attractive because really the expense is the vehicle and you don't have to pay a driver a recurring for every trip they get a piece of the pie. I know Uber's tested kind of a similar hybrid subscription model where you can buy a handful of uh, rides at a reduced rate. 
And so that might be kind of the stepping stone into, okay, let's figure out how the subscription model really works. What does it look like? And, uh, and then that might be a stepping stone into to the uh, having that kind of figured out and then bringing in, in driverless cars and starting to test that because in certain areas of the country, that's, they've been allowed to test that. And I think that one, that one incident puts a pretty bad you know, stint on the whole driverless car thing. With, uh, I believe it was a lady who, who got hit. And uh, so the nature of that, it's, it's going to take some figuring out on that end. The subscription model is probably an easier easier task to overcome than, than the driverless cars. But I think those two, you might see those kind of come into play in the ride train space, kind of go hand in hand, honestly. Yeah, driverless cars are definitely all the buzz. You know, even though there is some idea that since there isn't a driver, they're more prone to accidents or they could be unsafer, I, I really think the biggest contributor to car accidents and to being unsafe on the road comes from the human element. The fact that a driverless car would be able to automate a lot of that, once it gets to the critical point where the automation is good enough to be able to detect things on the road well and and sort of surpass human error, I, I really think it should be the push. I mean, people shouldn't be afraid of driverless cars. Same with AI and um, machine learning, all, all that kind of stuff that sort of has an intrinsic, oh, what if the machines take over sort of vibe to it, right? I think there's a real practical use to them for sure. You also mentioned the subscription program. So that's really interesting. How would a subscription program be applied to ride sharing and why don't you think more companies have tried it already? I know there's a, a company out and they're, they're strictly in the Phoenix area right now. They're structured a little differently from what I understand. Their drivers are employees, but their customers, I think that from what I've read, their largest customer base tend to be like the more elderly people or, or people with disabilities who you know, need rides, regular rides to the doctor, whatever the case may be. And so they're able to establish that driver customer relationship. But at the end of the day, hey, this is your set amount, and we know we're taking you on a pretty regular basis. So it's just a one-time cost, and then really at the end of the day, you can just take as many rides as you need. Lyft is testing, you know, as I've mentioned before, this by a certain number of rides at a reduced rate. So it's not really an unlimited subscription. It's That's why I call it kind of the hybrid. It is, but it isn't. There's still some limitations to it. And then actually what we're trying to do, which from all the digging I've, I've done, we'll be the first purely subscription-based company. And again, we're, we're targeting strictly strictly college students. So the, the idea behind a subscription, right, like Netflix, right, you, you can watch everything that's on there. You can watch as much as you want for however long you want. It's unlimited, right? And so I think that's the real holdup, and that's going to be our, our biggest challenge really is and we even saw this when we did that market test and uh, that I was telling you about earlier at the uh, University of uh, Tennessee, Chattanooga. We basically took 16 kids and put them on some family plans and said, hey, we'll pay for everything. You just order rides if it's unlimited. And we gave them some radius constraints with them from campus. And at the end of the day, they took, you know, they used it a lot more than they did as if they had to pay for each ride. So the whole unlimited concept is probably what scares or not scares, but kind of pushes people away from from taking that big leap into the purely subscription-based world. Because uh, at the end of the day, it is unlimited, and people are going to use it a lot more than they do if, if there's a per, you know, going back to the Netflix deal, right? If, 
on-demand movies, there's a per per movie transaction. Well, you know, current ride-sharing state, there's a per ride transaction. Uh, if it's a new movie, right, it costs more on-demand. Whereas, you know, during high-demand periods for ride-sharing, there's a there's a surge rate. So it's a completely different environment. So it's really just going to be kind of like the, the driverless cars, you know, testing and figuring out the the kinks in that business model before you really step into that space. And I don't even know that the majors are really at this point, you know, wanting to get into that fully unlimited space. And I think that's why you see Lyft doing the, basically guaranteeing this income for a certain number of rides, but we'll give you a reduced rate since you're committing to, to that many rides for us every month. So a couple of different models that are being tested. And then we're actually doing a, starting our soft launch at the end of next month. And so <laughs> we'll probably be able to bring some other variables or unknowns to light that uh, come out of our, our beta launch. And I feel like another issue with the subscription model could be the fact that you are pooling for more and more drivers. I mean, it's it's the same idea that if you're paying for something that's subscription-based, you sort of expect there to be a plethora of content always. And if, if something is subscription-based, I think it's going to draw more people because they feel like they're saving money. So if you have a subscription-based ride-sharing service, you're probably going to get more traffic, which is good for the company, but also to a degree could be tough if you're already having trouble with maintaining driver happiness and finding a sufficient amount of drivers. Have you noticed that to be a correlation? Absolutely. I mean, from day one, we've said our biggest challenge is going to be making sure we have enough drivers, knowing that the demand is going to be higher than, you know, if we were to offer per ride transaction type type uh, business model. And that's just something that, that we're going to test. And if purely unlimited just doesn't make sense, then we'll have to take a step back. But 100%, those two go hand in hand. We've got some some different approaches that we want to test and see if we can help mitigate that issue. You know, again, building a compensation plan that, that makes drivers want to be, you know, again, in an ideal world. <laughs> Not everybody can be a driver for us. You know, that means that we're taking care of our drivers. That means that people want to work for us. Um but at the end of the day, you still need enough drivers to, to service the demand. So specifically for our company, we're working in a little more of a controlled environment. So we've got, you know, I guess you could say we have a little flexibility with how we can get creative on servicing that demand. Um, and I think that controlled environment really enables us to, to do that. Uh, whereas if you offer this to, you know, kind of the general public, then um, your radius of frequented locations is probably a little greater than, you know, kids in college, they're probably going to the bars, the grocery store, you know, to get gas, you know, various things. Usually it's a, it's a much smaller radius of, you know, operations. I know several people that I work with now have 45-minute commutes to um, work every day. Uh, and you just don't see that really with, with that college student market. Yeah, and I feel like every market is so different and it's trying to find a way to adapt your company to each market. Like you said, uh, a college town and the kind of driving you're going to be doing there is going to be, you know, probably pretty heavy on Friday, Saturday, Thursday even. And Sunday nights is going to be that 10 to 3 range at night, you know, going to and from the bars or, um, you know, getting a ride home to where they aren't getting behind the wheel drunk. Those are, that's a whole nother thing to tackle. Um, whereas if you are in a rural area, you might be driving 
people to and from the grocery store because the grocery store is, a, you know, several miles away and someone lives out on the countryside. That could be the kind of thing that you're doing. So trying to find a balance with not only adapting to each market, but also having quality drivers and the right quantity of drivers. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's the perfect storm of things to juggle. We're getting geared up for the beta launch, but we know it's going to be uh, an uphill battle. We, we already know that there's going to be some obstacles that we're just going to have to, hey, let's get some beta on. But at the end of the day, it's going to take it's going to take some creativity to try to figure out some workarounds for those. And at the end of the day, it, it's while, you know, taking care of your drivers, so there's both angles that kind of have to work there. So uh, but we're looking forward to the challenge. Absolutely. Well, I really want to thank you, Kyle, for coming back on the podcast and to talk to us a little bit more about the state of the ride sharing industry, where it's going, some of the issues that are still ahead. But I I still think it's an exciting time to get into the industry, especially since, you know, you're only really seeing two of the big name platforms on people's minds. There's still room for innovative new ride sharing companies with either different tech or different systems of implementation to come in shake it up and change the way we think about ride sharing. So yeah, thanks Kyle for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time.